Take your Bibles this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. And um, as you're turning there, I want to tell you a little story because I know with the kids and, you know, Christmas time, it is exciting. And, uh, and you know, for just watching the children at Christmas time, and, and, and there's just some fun in that. And, and so uh, the story I want to share this morning, it kind of along those lines. Um, there were these two young boys, and they were spending the night at the grandparents' house. So your grandparents can appreciate this. So these two boys were spending the night at the grandparents' house, and it was the week before Christmas. And it got near bedtime, and the, and the two boys knelt beside their bed to say their prayers for the evening. And the younger, the younger kid, he, he began to pray at the top of his lungs. I pray for a new bicycle. I pray for a new Nintendo Switch. His old brother, his older brother leaned over and he kind of nudged him and said, Why are you shouting? God's not deaf. To which the little boy replied, No, but Grandma is. <laughs> so anyway, kids, I hope you've let Grandma know what you wanted because there's only two days left. So. <laughs> It is exciting. And guys, we've been going through our series here at the church in the month of December thinking about Christmas and, and kind of wanting us to get a, 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 an all-encompassing look at Christmas. Too often times we come through and you know, we focus on just the birth of Christ. And that's great, and we should, because it is this time of year we set apart uh, and we celebrate the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And we looked at that in, in week one. We, we talked about... Uh, and so for those of you who have been taking notes, those of you who, who uh, are following along, let's kind of unpack that. We've talked about in this series Jesus being the reason for the season. And He is. And we talked about in week one the birth of Christ. And we focused on that and His coming and God incarnate. We also have talked about the life of Christ and how important it is to understand the sinless life of Christ. Because in His coming, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And that's vital to the gospel message. And so we talked about that as well in week two. Last week, you'll recall, we talked about the death of Christ and again, His atonement, His shedding of His blood. Uh, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And when you think about especially after we've gone through our study in Hebrews, you should understand that whole Old Testament practice of the sacrificial system and that it was pointing to the coming of Christ, the Lamb of God. Remember John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this is vital, guys, to the gospel message. Jesus is the reason for the season. And so today, we want to talk about the resurrection of Christ. And I know this is a message normally reserved for Easter, but guys, think about it. Christ's coming takes us from the cradle to the cross. And it doesn't end there. Apart from the resurrection, we who believe our faith is in vain. If the resurrection, Paul said, didn't happen, if Christ be not risen, then what are we doing here this morning? What's the point? But Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Why don't you watch this video clip? If we could get some sound on that, please, brother. To be able to unpack 
for the audience. Apologetics seeks to give credible answers to curious questions, to give a defense. What are the proofs of the resurrection? In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, the Apostle Paul says that if Jesus Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then we are still in our sins and that our faith is futile. That's a shocking statement, isn't it? What that tells us right there is if Christ is not alive, then we are a bunch of deceived people as Christians. Everything rises and falls in Christianity on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is there any evidence that would make the resurrection of Jesus Christ plausible? There is. First of all, the very fact that women were the first to observe the empty tomb. That's a very significant truth for us. Why is that? Because in the Greco-Roman world, in the way that the Jews in particular perceived women, you would understand that if somebody was trying to fabricate the resurrection story, they would not have women showing up at the empty tomb. Women were perceived as less valuable than men. In fact, the Jews would say, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, and thank you that I'm not a woman. We know that it took two women's votes to equal one man's vote. And so women showing up is one proof. Another proof of the resurrection is prophecy. We know that Jesus Christ said, destroy this temple, and three days later, I will raise it back up, speaking of his body. We know Psalm 1611 pointed to the resurrection. And even in Isaiah 53, we see that the suffering servant would not stay dead. Moreover, the empty tomb, nobody has been able to discover the body of Jesus Christ. Isn't it astounding that in the very place where they crucified Christ in Jerusalem, that is the epicenter where Christianity exploded from. And so they never were able to bring his body to bear. While everybody was saying Christ arose, Christ arose, some were saying his body was stolen. But nobody could bring his body to the place and show that his body was still there. Why? Because Christ is alive. More than that. We have post-resurrection appearances where he appeared to people on several different occasions, including his brother, James. More than that, he appeared to 500 people at one time. Some will say, you know what? They were hallucinating. Well, listen, 500 people hallucinating at once? Sometimes it's just easier to believe the truth than it is to make up a myth. And then finally, life changed. Think of the Apostle Paul. He was on the Damascus Road getting ready to go and arrest Christians for believing in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God arrested him as he saw the resurrected Christ. Life changed. People's lives have been changed as they have studied the proof of the resurrection. Among them, Dr. Frank Morrison, C.S. Lewis, we know that Josh McDowell, and perhaps you. Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. He has risen indeed. Amen. And I take it he's changed your life today. Amen. Uh, Conway, uh, Dr. Bobby Conway is actually a gentleman that will probably, Lord willing, is on schedule to be with us this year at our apologetics conference. And so uh, Tyson has already made that connection. And if you've not checked out his One Minute Apologetic videos, uh, just Google that, One uh, Minute Apologist. Got some phenomenal stuff on there, some great speakers. And so pray about that as we move towards September, uh, having Dr. Bobby Conway with us here for uh, this year's conference. The evidence is there, guys. The resurrection happened. It's real. 
And that's why some 2,000 plus years later, we are still worshiping Christ. That's why you're here today. That's why my life's been changed. Your life's been changed. Because it's true. And so today, as we look at the Christmas story, as we think about two days before Christmas is upon us, I want us to think about and meditate on the truth of the resurrection. So we'll start with the purpose of the resurrection. The purpose of the resurrection. If you're there in the scriptures, you should be at John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40. And this is the purpose Jesus gave. These are His own words. This is Christ speaking. And so you want to know why Christ came? Why Christmas morning? Why the little baby in the manger? Well, He gives us an answer right here in John 6, 38 through 40. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Father, I pray through the preaching of Your Word this morning, the teaching of Your Word, that You would arrest our hearts. That if there be someone watching online, listening via podcast or television, Lord, around the world, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict hearts, will draw men to Yourself. And so, Lord, we lift You up today. We make much of the name of Christ. Because we recognize Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Lord, make that path known clear today. And Lord, I pray that uh, we as believers will be strengthened and encouraged and that we will continue to exalt and worship Christ our Lord. In His name we pray. Amen. As you look at this passage of Scripture and we think about the words of Christ, I want us to focus in on there. Uh, notice the, in verse 40, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes. Now wait a minute, that word sees. Have, have any of you ever seen Jesus? Well, let's unpack the word. Uh, the word used here is the Greek word, and it's the word theoreo. Theoreo. And it's used of the one who looks at a thing with interest and for purpose. So when he says here in verse 40, and this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day, he's emphasizing the word sees is the one who believes, who, who looks to Christ for His purpose. Who looks to Christ... With deep interest. It's not carnal eyes. It's spiritual eyes. It's for a longing in your heart to know what life's about. And he's saying that everyone who, who looks to the Son for that purpose, for that meaning, for that truth, he makes you a promise that in Christ those who see the Son and believe in Him, trust in Him completely. 
Are you trusting in Christ completely this morning? You know, too often times we, we've got folks that's Jesus plus, and we talked about this when we unpacked the study in Hebrews, Jesus plus. You know, Galatians is, 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 is hitting those who are trying to add to or go back to religious things. Guys, it's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus, period. It's done. No, I'm not going to sing the Carmen song, for those of you who remember that. Yeah, I won't, I won't bother you with that. But the purpose of the resurrection is that those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ can live this life knowing that one day too, you will be raised. You too will experience the resurrection. This is not our home. These bodies are not our eternal bodies. We're going to receive a glorified body. We're going to receive a, a wake-up call to a resurrected life in Christ. And it's a promise to everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him. Christ said, in essence, do you know why I'm here? Do you know why I was born into poverty? Why the shepherds adored me? Why the wise men brought gifts? Why the angels sang that night? It is so you would have everlasting life. That's the purpose. Christ's confession points directly to resurrection graves opening, the dead restored to life, and the ultimate fulfillment of God's everlasting covenant. David Wilkerson. And I like what David's pointing out here. Guys, lest we forget what the purpose of Christmas is, there is a resurrection morning that's coming. We get excited on Christmas Day, especially you little kids. I can't get up early enough. And trust me, us mamas and daddies <clears throat> who are busy helping Santa, for those of you, I don't want to ruin it for you, talk to mama. By the way, we're in church, so I'm going to tell you the truth. Kids, parents, if your if you're kids, uh, you can dismiss them at this time if you need to, because I'm going to give a truth alert. Spoiler alert, spoiler <laughs> alert. It's about Jesus. St. Nick was real, by the way. Did you read Nate's post? See Nate if you want more answers on St. Nicholas. Fair enough? We'll leave it there. cbclagrange.org. Check it out. But it's about Jesus. Guys, Christ came to give you life. We get excited over Christmas morning to get the presents. I understand. Look, I'm excited too. I can't wait to get some more socks and underwear. You know? I need them. Trust me. My t-shirts, I'm telling my undershirts, I, I, I promise my kids must be doing the laundry and putting it in the dryer on high because they keep raising up. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know my story. I knew when I was getting fat because when I was shaved and my shaving cream fell off, it didn't hit the floor. <laughs> I was going to say, well, leave it there. <laughs> I knew then I was fat, all right? As if trying to tie my shoes didn't give, it the, give me the alert, right? Oh, my. Anyway, hey. It's all right to be like that lady had soup and be fat and sassy, right? It's Christmas time, so we can do that. We can do that. We're going to see you at first of the year, Randy. <laughs> Gold's Gym, there's your plug. Let's go out there. All of Y'all meet me out there. In the meantime, enjoy them cookies. Guys, we get excited Christmas time. But think about it. How exciting we should be as believers in Christ, knowing the truth, 
All right? It's not about Santa. It's about Jesus and knowing that our sins are forgiven. To know that He came. He paid the price for your sin and my sin. To know that we are set free from the bondage of sin and the wages of sin is death. We're set free from that. You talk about an exciting morning to get up. It's that great getting up morning to quote some Gaither singing back there. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about there too, right? See, I'm, t- I'm an equal opportunity CCM provider here this morning. We're going to... Shout out to all of them. What a good and exciting... I mean, guys, we're, gonna, we're going to resurrect never to die again. Glorified bodies. That's something to be excited for. The purpose of the resurrection. We also have the proof of the resurrection. You heard a little bit. In, in Dr. Bobby Conway's little video clip there, and, and again, a lot of times we'll unpack this more in depth at Easter time, so I, I'm not going to go in too much depth this morning, but I do want to give you some proofs of the resurrection. In fact, Gary Habermas, well, let's go. Let's, look, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll, I'll quote Gary here in a second. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, if you ever want, you know, for, for memory's sake, you're talking with somebody, you want to think, oh, what, 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 where's that resurrection passage that deals with resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. Okay, Keep that in mind, 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go there. And I don't have this one on the screen, so, so i got that little Bible image, so you can grab a Bible off the front of the pew there in front of you if you need one. But let's read along. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. See, I knew Paul was Southern. I declared. Anyway. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. And He was buried, and He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures." And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. They've died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and... We are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, 
if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who've died, fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all, of all men, the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have died, fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. The resurrection is true. And the reason we celebrate Christmas is because God enrobed Himself in fleshly form. And He lived a sinless life after being born of a virgin. He lived that sinless life fulfilling the law on our behalf. And He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And no one took His life. He laid it down. God demonstrated His love toward you and me in that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. In three days, He laid in that tomb. Dead and gone, many thought. But three days later, that grave opened up. And Christ bursts forth in life, resurrected life, conquering death, defeating death, delivering you and me from that bondage that kept us all in fear, the unknown of death. And every man since the fall of man feared it. And still today, many fear it. But guys, we need not fear anymore. Because Christ has gone into that unchartered territory on our behalf. And He's paid it in full. And He's came out. And He's proven that He's victorious. And so for us who are believers this morning, we can celebrate Christmas because we recognize the greatest gift we could ever receive has been received. And our faith and trust is in a finished and completed work. At Christmas, we don't typically, when you receive a gift, it's not a gift that you typically pay for. You don't have to work for. Oftentimes, children understand this, your gift is given to you. And you receive that with excitement and joy. Folks, the gift that's been given to you and me, Christ Jesus, we don't work for Him. We don't earn that salvation. We don't earn that gift. We receive it, not because of anything that we've done, but because of His love for us. And our response is that of gratitude. It is that of service because 
of recognizing the love that God has for us, recognizing the redemption that's found in Christ alone. And so that's what encourages us to live for Him, to, as the video earlier, allows us to shine the light that is within all of us who've received Christ because Christ is the light of the world. And so we carry that hope as believers, the proof of the resurrection. Gary Habermas has popularized uh, what's uh, been called the minimal facts argument. Okay, And uh, those of you who know, Gary Habermas is probably the leading scholar expert on the resurrection. If you want somebody to, to look to as far as in resources and reading, uh, Gary Habermas is by far the leading, uh, leading man in that. And I'd encourage you to check out some of his writings, some of his books. Um, but, but Gary Habermas popularized the so-called minimal facts argument for the resurrection. The minimal facts are those things that are accepted by nearly all New Testament scholars. The minimal facts are Jesus died by crucifixion. Now, I don't care if you meet anyone in this world who's a, who's a scholarly intellect, who, who's not a Christian. They're not a believer. They will admit this is true, that Jesus died by crucifixion. We have extra-biblical sources outside of the Scriptures to prove that Jesus truly died. There was a man named Jesus during this time period who was crucified. We've got that evidence. And the, and the liberal scholar, the, the, think, the leading thinkers on our secular universities, the know-it-alls, the elites, which by the way, I don't know if any of you saw the recent reports, uh, MSNBC host uh, uh, Maddow said Liberty University is not a university. <laughs> just bashed it, and their elitist group jumped on board and bashed you know, Liberty University. Check out the article. There's some good response from Falwell Jr. Um, reminding her she's not very smart because all of the higher educations, Oxford, Yale, Harvard, they were all started by evangelists. You know, so anyway, masters. And those of you who didn't know that, those schools that are leading universities were founded as seminaries, training in the scriptures. So let's do our homework, right? Anyway, Jesus died by crucifixion. Even the liberals will admit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you meet someone who says, yeah, I don't believe that, well, they're just not thinking. All right? They're just not thinking. They're not being intellectually honest. Because if you're going to be intellectually honest, this part, whether you're a believer in Christ in the sense of a follower of Christ or not, history verifies. Jesus' disciples believe that he rose and appeared to them. Again, liberal scholars will say, yes, that's true. Now, it's not, it's not to say that they actually themselves believe Jesus rose from the dead. They won't give you that necessarily, but they will give you this. They honestly know all the evidence says they really believed it. Why else would they go from being scared and hiding, running away, to now standing boldly in the open places where Jesus was persecuted, knowing that they too will suffer persecution, and they did, and they died as a result of the message they were proclaiming. Something happened. Something changed. They really believed that Jesus rose and appeared to them. So even they will give you that. These are the minimal facts argument put forth. The church, the church persecutor, you saw it in the video clip as well, the church persecutor, Paul, was suddenly changed. Again, no argument from them. Again, history would verify. There's a guy, Saul became known as Paul. And one time this guy was 
killing Christians or at least assisting while Christians were being persecuted and killed under his watch. Now all of a sudden, he's leading their cause. Something happened. Something changed his heart and mind. The skeptic James, Jesus' own brother, he changed his tune. Something happened. Old camel knees, what he became known as. Praying all that time. Naughty knees. Something happened to James. All of a sudden, he was uh, one of the leaders in the church amongst the Jews. They all were looking to him. And this was a skeptic. This was almost a scoffer. Hey, Jesus, won't you go on in town? There's a festival. Make yourself known. I mean, if you, you know, don't do anything, might as well make yourself known. This is a good time to do it. Translation. Read it. It's in the scriptures, right? That too. But historically speaking, something happened to this guy. What changed him? The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. And like you heard, the epicenter. Pretty easy to dispute this. What about all those guards? What about those soldiers? Multiple soldiers. Good number. Some people estimate... I've seen numbers up to 50 possibly. But regardless, even if you only had two guarding the tomb, what's the dealio with that? Because that's death for those boys if they let somebody come in and steal the body. Guys, we've got some serious evidence. There's some serious claims of truth here. The tomb was empty. These facts are nearly universally accepted by New Testament scholars, including liberals. We need to arm ourselves with these things. We need to know these things. Because somebody's not being intellectually honest if they don't at least give you these. And by giving us at least these, there's a conversation. Holy Spirit will use that conversation to hopefully draw them into a greater understanding of knowing who Christ is. Now again, no amount of arguing is going to ever argue anyone into the kingdom. No amount of evidence presented to someone is ever going to convert them, cause them to be born again. Salvations of the Lord. Only God works in the recesses of the heart. But guys, don't be a butter knife when you be a steak knife, is what I say. Especially when you're trying to cut the seared conscience. Right? And so these are proofs of the resurrection. Habermas goes on to make this point. He says, the beginning and the end of everything. The resurrection is the beginning and the end of everything. As long as we're sure that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead, Christianity follows. He says, yeah, we can, we can get on the other arguments, uh, you know, the various arguments that are out there and, you know, Moses and creation and all these other things. But guys, at the end of the day, this is where our, this is where our, our focus needs to be. Because everything else falls into place. 
If these three things... So these, to me, these are the three keys to Christianity. This is what Gary Habermas is saying. These are the three keys to Christianity. The deity of Christ, God claiming to be God incarnate. That's one we need to understand as believers. And so it's Christmas, you know, again, Emmanuel, God is with us. God incarnate, the incarnation. We talk about this, right? So understanding the deity of Christ, that His claims, Jesus claiming to be God in the flesh, which by the way... Don't let the JW at your door tell you he didn't, because he did. That's why they took up stones to stone him. This is what cost him his life, because they believe the Jews believe he was blaspheming, putting himself equal with God. Jesus claimed to be God. Good men don't go around telling lies that they're God in the carnate, right? You know, C.S. Lewis, re, uh, reshaped by um, uh, Josh McDowell, either Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. So the deity is important. The death is important. And again, understanding that. But the resurrection is most vital. Because as Paul said, if Christ is not risen, then you're still in your sin. I'm still in my sin. And our faith is futile. But if Christ be risen... What are you going to do with that? If he went into the grave and he came out of the grave and he's still alive, what are you going to do with that? And guys, that's a message that we have as believers. The hope of Christ within us and we know His return is soon. We know He's coming again. And we know because He conquered death, we too have that hope within us. The preaching of the resurrection. When you go through the New Testament, you can't help but see, guys, the whole New Testament is about the resurrection of Christ. What's the point of the Bible? What's the point of the New Testament scriptures if Christ is not risen? And so it's important that we understand the resurrection of Christ. There are more than 300 verses in the New Testament that refer to the resurrection of Jesus. More than 300. Pretty important subject, right? It's at the center of everything we teach and preach. We understand as believers that we too will be raised like Jesus. Everybody go in the Bible to Acts 4. Let's go to Acts 4. Again, you, you know the backdrop here. Christ has ascended. He's given His Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter has preached the day of Pentecost. Now we see Peter and John proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And then we see here, and I'll go to verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people... The priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And of course they laid hands on them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. This was central to the message. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. How about 1 Peter? Go over to 1 Peter 1.3. Real fast. 1 Peter. And let's take a look over there. First Peter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Guys, this is our hope. This is what we preach. This is what we teach. As believers, we know that we too will be resurrected. We too will go into the grave, but we will come out the other side. Amen? And Jesus is proof of that. And so we preach the resurrection. And not only does it help us in that hope, it also helps us in our grieving. Many of you are here today and you grieve because this time of year is tough. Many of you have lost loved ones recently. It's a real thing. We grieve. But God makes you a promise. He wants you to be encouraged. Yes, it's okay to grieve. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We don't grieve as if our loved ones who are in Christ, that we won't see them again. No, those who are in Christ, we will see again. And we have this hope. Go over to 1 Thessalonians, if you would, real fast. 1 Thessalonians. Paul writing, he says, but I, I do not want you, verse 13 of chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, those who've died. He says, look, I don't, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. Concerning those who've died, lest you sorrow as, as others who, who have no hope. For if we believe, that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with Him those who died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, those who are dead. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. You know, I shared the other day a little video clip of my dad and mom doing a little jig, you know, Christmas time. I miss my dad. Many of you miss your husband, you miss your wife. You miss your child. Let these words comfort you. Let these words comfort you. 
To be in Christ is to be at peace. To be in Christ is to have hope. And we will join our loved ones who are in Christ. God's made us the promise and He cannot lie. We'll know one another when we get to glory. Those beautiful saints who've gone on before us. There will be a day, guys. There will be a day. There will be a great reunion. It's going to happen. You can bank on it. You can trust God will keep His Word. And so, yes, we grieve. Yes, it's okay to grieve. But grieve with hope, knowing one day you will see that loved one again. You will. And it will be a glorious day. Paul goes on and finishes in the great chapter of uh, the resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says this, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Guys, we have a promise. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ we have this hope. And so as we celebrate Christmas... Let's keep our eyes where they need to be, on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, knowing that we have victory because of who He is. Wise men today worship not only the child of Bethlehem, but also the man of Calvary. And with what we've learned this morning, we need to be reminded and of the soon coming King. Because He is returning, guys. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the coming King. Christmas is for salvation. From the womb to the tomb to the resurrection, boom! To His coming soon. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's the reason to be excited at Christmas. And I hope you're excited about who Christ is, because Jesus is the reason for the season. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Uh, thank You, Lord, for uh, the truth of who Christ is. Lord, thank You for sending Your only begotten Son into this world. And You've told us that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And Father, I pray that if there be anyone who've, who's watching, listening, that 
would, would recognize that, like all of us, we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And none of us can live righteous lives. And that's why we need Christ. That's the reason He came. Born of a virgin. Living a sinless life. Fulfilling every aspect of the law that the law demanded. Tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And because you loved us, you went to the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ our Lord laid down His life for His sheep. Paying the penalty that we should pay. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Christ paid that penalty in full. Taking the wrath of the Father upon Himself. Satisfying the demand of righteousness. atoning on our behalf and went into the grave three days but I am grateful that the story does not end there and three days later when that day broke Christ rose came forth victorious over death proving that who he claimed to be is who he is God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so I pray that if there's anyone listening, watching, that's never recognized their sin that separates them from a loving and holy God, that they would recognize that sin and today by faith repent of that sin, turn from that sin, cry out to Christ to forgive them of that sin and put their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ alone. It's not about cleaning up your act. It's not about going to church. It's not about those things. It's about a surrender. It's about a saying, God, I give up. I recognize I've, I've transgressed. I've broken your law. I've sinned against you. And yet I see your love through the cradle to the cross. And by faith today, the life I know, I give up to you. And in exchange, by faith, I receive the life that Christ wants to give me. And God makes you a promise. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So right where you are, if God is drawing you through the cords of His love, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and awakening you to this truth and understanding, would you surrender your life today and by faith receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? He said to as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become the children of God. 
And what an exciting time Christmas will be for many reasons. But the most important reason is because your debt has been paid in full. Christ is your Lord and Savior. And there's a morning that you can look forward to beyond the Christmas day on December 25th. It's the resurrection day. And Christ will return for those that belong to Him. I trust you know Him today. And Father, I ask for the Christian that is here, the believers that you encourage us, those mourning that they'll mourn with hope. And Lord, that this Christmas time will be a time of joy, reflection, and meditation because of who you are, because of what you've done and what you're going to do. Lead us, teach us, grow us, change us. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen.